This week's guest is Chris Kim. We talk with Chris about his experience when he started working as a dishwasher at Gulf Steakhouse, to working at Hannah's and learning the craft of serving, to operating his own food truck for several years, and now back to working in corporate fine dining. We talk about how serving isn't just bringing food and drinks to the table. You make the guests feel like they've been invited to an exclusive party and to enjoy the ride. So enjoy this week's show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. Today is, what the fuck is the date today? Uh, the 29th of June. Yeah, I, like, I'm still living in uh, Groundhog Day where every day is the same and I don't know what the date is. So uh, until they allow me to open a bar again, then I'm going to be asking you that question. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm your host, Kip Saunders. This is uh, my co-host and producer, Dan Serretta. How's it going, Dan? Hey, man. Still fucking awesome. Yeah. No complaints. Yeah. We're bringing you this podcast from, of course, Studio 258 in uh, Kitchener-Waterloo. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a great guest for you today, Chris Kim. will be joining us shortly. Uh, i just like to get the sort of particulars out of the way first. The best way to support the show, if you like it, is to subscribe, rate, and review to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, subscribe to the show and rate and review it while you're subscribing. It really helps us out a lot. That's what drives listens. Um, if you are interested in being on the show and you have an industry story to tell us that you feel the public needs to hear, DM us at the Industry Podcast on Instagram. Uh, that's how our current guest got booked today. So it works. It works. Hit us up. Uh, before we get started today, I just want to do a quick little rant, if you'll abide it. Um, we are in currently stage two of the reopening Correct. of... Um, businesses in Kitchener-Waterloo here in, during this COVID nightmare. And so that means that you can have outdoor seating for um, bars and restaurants. I am not one of the lucky ones who has a patio at my place because we're a subterranean speakeasy. So I get it. I'm just holding my breath and waiting. Now, if you are lucky enough to have a patio in this crisis time and you're allowed to reopen... Just follow the goddamn rules. And honest, honest to God, you're, you're, the greed. There are places in town here that are shoving two, three hundred people on a small patio, no social distancing. Sometimes the staff aren't even wearing masks. They're supposed to be at like spacing people out on their patios. No spacing. None of this is happening. And here, first of all, let's just deal with the fact that that's a fucking public health risk. Mm-hmm. To, you could be putting people in danger. But more, but. And, on a more personal note, we haven't reached to the point where they're going to allow me to open my place yet. And if cases spike because of this type of behavior where people who are lucky enough, who are lucky enough to have a patio right now, can't just follow the fucking rules and we get a spike in cases, then they're going to delay the reopening and then places like mine might just go out of business permanently. So for Christ's sake, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to have a fucking patio, just follow the rules that were set out for you. It's not hard. Yeah. I'm not going to call out any places by name, but there are places in Kitchen Waterloo that are not doing that, and it's completely, completely irresponsible. It's selfish. And, they need uh, to use a little common sense. Yeah, they need to use a little common sense and start thinking about maybe some of the other small business owners who are also trying to reopen and survive. So if everybody follows the rules then I think we can get to a point where we get into phase three and then a place like mine can open too and we can all go back to some sort of semblance of normal normalcy that, well, I mean, nothing's ever going to be normal again, but at least to a place where you can have 
lots of uh, different options to choose from and not just patios. So if that happens, we can all get back there. But, you know, if ifs and buts were liquor and nuts, we'd all have a fucking party. Uh, okay, enough of my ranting. Let's bring in our guest today. It's Chris Kim. How you doing, Chris? Good. How are you? We all know you're talking about the who there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't actually, but I, I, I it's quite possible there. I was actually talking about Kentucky. <laughs> I wasn't going to call them out, but... Um, ah, fuck it. <laughs> but if it's a Hoother too, fuck them too, quite frankly. Uh, okay, Chris is... Uh, I've known Chris for many, many years. He's worked all over the, the in the area of Kitchener-Waterloo, so it should be an interesting conversation here. Uh, you are currently working at Alora Mill, correct? That's correct. And uh, uh, we were just discussing before we started recording that uh, you're not quite all the way open yet. They put out a little bit of a patio, but uh, you're not back to work yet. I am not back to work. They opened the inn on the 18th, and just judging by the amount of bookings that they get there, they'll, they'll have to facilitate those people and then open it up to the, the makeshift patio that they have and then wait until things open up like you guys and... I hope right. that happens, like you guys do. Yeah. Well, hopefully it all gets back to normal. I mean, the, that, honestly, and I do mean this despite my rant there, the most important thing is that people stay healthy and safe and alive. But these places are putting those risks at risk as well. And we just need everybody to get back to some sort of uh, state where we can all open. Uh, okay, so we'll start rolling through your bio here. Uh, you first started in at the Gulf Steakhouse, which is one of the charcoal group restaurants. We've had several people oh, on the Gulf Steakhouse. Is that is that not charcoal? No, no. I'm thinking of uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, charcoal Steakhouse. Charcoal Steakhouse. Yeah. See, I don't eat meat, so all the steakhouses they kind of run together for me. <laughs> uh, okay, so you, Gulf Steakhouse. That's a that's a Kitchener staple, though. Or is that Waterloo, I guess? That's, that's the Bridgeport area. Yeah. That's, that's been around for a long time. Yeah. So that's, Thanks. as you say, that's Fantastic. over 30 years ago. You were only in grade eight when you started working there? <laughs> grade nine, and it didn't... It, oh, shit. I don't even think it lasted the summer because it was awful. It was really... Dishwashing, as we all know, is one of those things that it's good that you get in there and get you know, a grasp on the industry, but that is the, our job. Yeah, it's just definitely the shits. Uh, and that's why they generally get people in grade eight and nine to do the job. It's, you get the shit on the stick, you work hard, you get very little respect, you get yelled at a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just yelling pans constantly. Yeah. And you're up to your elbows in grease the whole time. It's a very thankless. It's one of the probably the most thankless position in the service industry. The the only thing that I think that uh, you know you get a handle on how busy and how like interesting it is from your perspective as a young kid, mm -hmm. and see like a lot of you know charismatic servers and good looking servers right. <laughs> to be on that side of things because. Uh, that's where all the action is. Yeah, so that's kind of where you get your first taste of it, and you're just sort of, uh, not to put words in your mouth, you're kind of like, oh, maybe this is something I would want to do, but just not at this specific job. I'm too charming to be back here all <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so 
you're in high school, you're kind of, you kind of realize maybe this is something you could do as your part-time job while you're going through school, and then you start working at McGinnis Landing, uh, became oh. McGinnis Front Row later, pretty big state. Right, is that a chain, or is that just a Kitchener-Waterloo thing? I don't know if it started, did it start in Breslau? Or? I feel like we had one I in think, Kingston when I was I think growing up. there was a couple of them, I remember yeah. it was in high school still. Yeah, McGinnis Landing, but then I think this was the only one that turned into McGinnis Front Row, yeah. so maybe they broke away from the franchise. I was there before it was Front Row. I right. think it was Landing, and it was like high school time, so like early to mid 90s. Okay. Dishwashing and light prep, and that was just late, late. It was a universe, it, it, it's essentially a university bar. Uh, mm. So it was late, late night, so coming home at like 2 a.m. was was not uh, uh, good for grades. No, yeah. That's the funny thing. It's a, it's a great job, like, dishwasher for high school kids, but the hours are just not conducive to... I mean, my hours were of staying out all night partying when I was in high school wasn't conducive for my grades either, but it, it wasn't my job that was responsible. <laughs> Maybe that should have been the deal. Uh, you, so, you're... From there, you go to work at a uh, classic bar in Kitchener, the Hoother Hotel. Uh, very interesting spot uh, oh, yeah. where every floor kind of had a different experience almost. So uh, describe the Hoother to people who don't know it and describe your experience of working there. It is a, it is a colossal place. There's that lion's... Lion's den. den. Mm-hmm. There's... And there's the barley works upstairs, and the main floor was the Kent at one time, and then it was all over the place. Right. And I just remember, at the time, there was like, uh, and you guys, you being uptown way longer than me would know, they had like, they had strippers there. Yeah, sure did. Yeah, I had a roommate who had his own personal stool there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so when I got there, they, it wasn't like the the best and the best uh, talent hunt around. Not not the world's greatest shoe show. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a weird little room that Kent that uh, were they only? I think they were only hanging on to it to keep their little patent or whatever it is because they weren't giving them out anymore. Or I don't know how. Yeah, because that, that's true. In this town, they stopped giving out licenses for. Gentlemen's clubs. Yes. Um, yeah, because remember that place had that unique entrance where it was right beside the stage. So you'd walk it, you'd open the door, and you you're right there. there. You're right <laughs> in it. Yeah. Yeah. You, if you turn to the right, it's shoe show. If you turn to the left, it's like a regular bar. <laughs> Crazy spot. Yeah. And if I recall too, there's a hotel on the top floor of it. It is yes. called the Hoother Hotel, and. They, uh, that's where the, the ladies would stay. Right. Yeah. So for doing prep in that kitchen, and they were just like stairs that would go up. There wasn't a separate entrance or anything like nope. that. So they would come through the kitchen and go up the stairs, and the apartments would be on another level. Mm. And being a teenage guy in high school, there was sort of like ladies milling about the kitchen. <laughs> And in my ignorance, I thought like, oh, I think some of these ladies might be interested in some of us, but 
They're, they're just hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was the chef guy. It was like they are like raccoons. Like, do not feed them. Right. I was be be milling around even more. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, they were some hard ladies. I remember being on the main floor there one day, just having a drink with a friend, and uh, we were watching a boxing match because that was one of the few places that used to show like pay-per-view boxing at the time. Um, and one of the women came in and asked my friend for a cigarette, and I don't know, whatever you're smoking, like Demoria regular or something like that, and. She was like, what is this? And literally took out a pair of scissors from her purse and cut the filter off and started smoking. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> sounds like my dream girl. Um, and they also had uh, a brewery attached to this place. It was a, what's it called? The Lions Brewery? Yeah, still do, I guess. I think it, like, I just passed by there and I think it's, they're they're moving it apparently to the back, yeah. Oh, because they they set up a pot shop up front. That's oh, right. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, good for them. I mean, why why stop at all of the ideas? Yeah. Right. <laughs> they're they're uh, they got everything going on the Adleys. Wow. Yeah, mediocre beer, mediocre pot. So hopefully <laughs> it works out. So talk about a little bit about. So you're working just in the back of the house there, right? Just in the kitchen at this this time still. Just in the kitchen, and I think it was another, like, very brief high school job. Sonia raged on me a couple times, and I was, was like, I, this is this is not for me. Right. Sonia was the owner, is the owner, uh, her and her family or whatever, and she has quite a reputation for um, outbursts. I, I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> yeah. It's a delicate flower. So... Yeah, so at some point you're just like, that's enough for me. Do you have any funny stories about uh, any of, aside from what you're saying about them hanging out in the kitchen, any funny stories of working in a, in a I strip joint? I actually remember my dad picking me up from high school, an old, very conservative Korean man, and he came in the front doors. I think he took a couple rights the wrong way and ended up as. You were saying, in the camp, in the strip, the stripper part of that big facility, and we had a very, very long ride home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. That's crazy. So, I, was, did that end up being a factor of you leaving there, or was more the getting yelled at by a crazy old lady? I think a culmination of getting yelled at and my dad thinking that I worked at a strip joint. Right. <laughs> Which, in fact, you did. <laughs> uh, okay, so where do you go from there, Chris? I think I got out of the industry for a long time. And then my ex-girlfriend was uh, Sheila Novotny. Mm -hmm. And she was working at the original Hannah's, which is uh, my tie on King Street now. Right. And your ex-girlfriend was working there, Leanne Amor. That's correct, yeah. A bunch of uh, misfits, but, and some amazing servers, like, I think Nat Benninger worked yep. there. Mm -hmm. My sister worked there. 
Natalie LaCourcier, Carla Beharry worked there. So, and, uh, yeah, um, yeah, we, yeah, when we had uh, Johnny Good Times on here previously, we kind of went over the talent that we went through that place. Like, so many people have opened their own business. Uh, so many people who are like star servers, at least in our city in the industry. So yeah. definitely a good training ground for kind of your first foray into it. I think that that was that was just it. Like I was not in the industry at all, and I remember, I remember my girlfriend coming home at like four, five, six in the morning, and I was not, I, I wasn't in the industry and didn't know how things work. So you like close up and then have some drinks and mm-hmm. think, get out of control, and then the sun's coming up and it's six o'clock in the morning, and I, like what what are you doing coming home at like five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, every Friday, Saturday night. Right. And then I was introduced to all those girls and, right. and all that crew. And you it, realized it was worse than you thought. <laughs> 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 no, it's funny that you mentioned that though. Like I am just an old fucker now. And like, I don't, I got a family and I don't have time. Like I, I my life running your own business, like my life is not set up for, those late night party things anymore. I did like I when two o'clock hits, I can't wait to get out the door. I'm like, you guys got to clean up, have a good night type thing, right? So, but back in the day when we were all younger, that was that's the industry, right? And I'm sure there's plenty of people who listen to or listening to this who are still living that life. And good for you. Like I, I don't have the stamina anymore personally, but yeah, that's the that that's kind of the fu- the fun behind the scenes part of. The industry that the, if anyone who's listening who's not in the industry don't really understand is that's those are the good times you get your ass kicked all night maybe you had a busy night but at the end maybe it was miserable people were being mean to you all night whatever it is but at the end of the night you sit down and talk to, uh, talk the stories out with your co-workers have a few drinks and that, but if it's a late night spot next thing you know it's it's daylight the, when the birds are chirping and you're still you're still bitching about table six <laughs> I I think working in like casual fine dining and casual places, I had the fortune of like sort of not getting into that late late those right. late nights. It kind of wrapped up by eleven, cleaning up by twelve or one, and then you can go move on to like the Jane Bond or Ethel's and have some. Right. But yeah, those are definitely fun times like the the you know the people that were there and then the I I started working at the tail end of the original Hannah's like just helping out and you know right because when I first met you it was only because both of our respective girlfriends worked there and I had a few drinks with you there but neither of us were working there at the time you were doing something financial I feel like I was in some uh I think it was like quasi pyramid scheme financial thing yeah like i would drop i, I would i would drop the quasi but <laughs> i wasn't gonna say bring it out just like that but i i did go to a meeting at your house and, uh, <laughs> and i was like wow <laughs> yeah that's fair enough but yeah at least you didn't get caught too far up in it from what i understand so <laughs> yeah. would have pardon me I would have. I'd be rich. 
Yeah, <laughs> good point. Uh, okay, so, but at some point you actually cross over and you're like, fuck, I'll give this serving thing a try. So I, when Hannah's closed down, uh, I worked at Eastside Mario's and sort of learned very quickly that um, places like that you learn like fast service and yes. burn turn and, you know, getting on that, getting familiar with POS system and, you know, the navigating the landscape of like managers and yeah the the nuts and bolts of the job really is what you get there yeah and then uh hannah's two point all open in the waterloo hotel Mm -hmm. uh, was about to open and i remember uh being on the patio vessels actually and Mm -hmm. uh kirstie herbstreit was like oh you should kirstie herbstreit who owns a culinary studio in waterloo said you should work uh you should help us open Hannah's and talk to Hannah and met those guys. And it was a lot of the same people that were at uh, the original. Yeah, she had a pretty loyal staff. Considering all the crazy hijinks that went on at that place, it, she there, she had something because people kept wanting to work for her. And maybe you can enlighten us a little bit about why that is. I know, I know you weren't around enough to understand or appreciate Hannah or you weren't drawn in by the... Uh, yeah, the- I... I didn't. Well, I didn't work there, right? So I just would come in <laughs> to pick up Leanne or whatever and see the craziness or hear some of her crazy stories when she'd get home. And whew. but and also I got caught up a little bit of partying with her dipshit husband at the time. Me um, too. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, that was an eye opener. But uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. Like obviously Hannah had a huge influence on this city. Um, with regards to the service industry, that uh, so many people sprouted from her under her wings to open their own businesses and do a yeah. bunch of amazing things in the city. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. I think she, like, she was very, she was super warm and very compassionate, and she, she created like a family atmosphere in that place, mm-hmm. and just gave people a chance. Like, I didn't really have a ton of. Uh, serving experience, but she gave me a shot because she had a good feeling about me. Yeah. And then all of her old staff came, and I think that's what uh, kept people there. Like the the amount of people. I think Johnny touched on like all the chefs that came through that place, and like it really, as far as the independent restaurant scene in KW, in our time, is I would wager the most influential, important, uh, independent restaurant in the history of KW. Oh, wow. That's, that's, I mean, yeah, I, I, I would have to think about it, but that's, that's a bold statement. But I think, I, I mean, I, if I'm thinking about it just off the top of my head, I can't really think of any other ones that I might put up there that had the staying power. If you look at like, if you look at it as like a family tree style, yeah. sort of scenario, right? Where all the branches that, that grew off of her original trunk. And staying in the city as well. Was that a that, that was a terrible way to describe that. I feel like I'm gonna get me too'd after that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good it's a good way to put like uh, the and they and like you said, they all kind of stayed in local mm-hmm. and for Ken Brenner who was in Sweden. Right. But amazing chefs came out of there like Nick Benninger, mm-hmm. uh, Ken Brenner, 
uh, David Hutchison. Yeah. All of them who own like big, like multiple locations in the KW and surrounding area now. Yeah. And so, what do you think? I mean, just to get into that a little bit more, um, I know you're saying she was a warm, caring person. I agree with you. She's a lovely person. Um, she, but what what do you think sparked all this? Like, the, like I don't, I don't know how. To, like, there's got, there has to be something deeper in there that all this talent that went on to old and so many of them be, becoming like uh, bar and restaurant owners. Like, yeah. not just not just going on in the in the career as a as a server or um, even a manager, but so much ownership coming out of there. Yeah, I think the way that I've, that the way that um, she, because of her circumstances, I think she had to give a lot of like ownership and that power and creative control to people that were work, working for her. Like she couldn't have a handle on the front of house. So like right. Nat ben and Leanne and Johnny and us as like the peripheral sort of cast sort of formed a like this was sort of our this was sort of like our restaurant and our family and we have to like you know yeah yeah we have to like create a a scene and we have to create an atmosphere and that was like on us to it was almost like we were giving a little bit of like ownership right so do you feel that uh would you say that that kind of gave people the confidence once they realized that they were like they were kind of doing it they were kind of running the restaurant for her in a way that that gave them the confidence to be like shit maybe i could do this for myself one day that's what i that's what i think i was touching on a little bit like we we sort of and like you know she did so many great things but you also see the flaws in it and i do when you like facilitate those type of people that want to, you know, they're not working for a chain because they they care about the food and they care about the beverage program and they want to elevate customer experience. So if you attract those types of people and then give them a little bit of slack and a little bit of leeway, then that's the perfect recipe of like creating like uh, entrepreneurial, you, you kind of see a little bit of the, you know, like I, I wouldn't do it this way or I wouldn't do it that right. way. And that, that's crazy. I would never do it mm-hmm. like that. And then it gives you like a little sort of almost gap to think about what you would do. And then you're like, fuck it, I'm going to do this myself. But we also like you get that anywhere you work. I, I mean, I always I've said this before on the podcast, uh, the whole time that I was working for other people, I was like, fuck, man, I could do this better than you guys. And I know that people who have worked for me have said that the entire time as well. Like, we all say that in this industry, you know? So there has to be something a little bit more where the people who work there actually just went on and fucking did it, you know? Uh, So I don't know what that is. I don't know if you have an angle on that either, but... But I think that people uh, like you and people like... Uh, Nick Benninger and people like Hutchie and all of the, like Nat, Nat Benninger, they already know that they don't want to work for like a corporate right. place to like confine them into their methodology of how to run a restaurant. It's already mm-hmm. like, you're already working for an independent person because somewhere in the back of your mind, 
I remember having a very a very inebriated conversation with you at the Starlight, and you gave Sounds me about a, right. <laughs> <laughs> you gave me basically the the formula of what you wanted to do a very very long time ago. So it was already like uh, formula. You know what I mean? Right? Yeah. Uh, that's funny. I don't honestly remember that conversation because I was probably pretty inebriated. But that's funny that you say that, that I had it formed out so long before it happened. And I and I think that sometimes, though, on like on our side is the ownership thing, is that you have it formulated in your mind without even realizing that you kind of do. That's right. Right. Like, And I know you. we'll get into the business that you open as well. So you must have felt the same way. It's kind of like th- these ideas are just milling around in your mind. And in a way, you don't realize that you've started to formulate them into like a, a business idea until right. it's kind of happened independent of you almost, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, okay, so I can't, we can't move on from Hannah's until you give me your craziest Hannah's story. Oh, I think they all bleed into one, so I okay. <laughs> bleed into one story but I remember Hannah was so much fun and like those all the girls at those at that time were so much fun Carla Beharry was so much fun mm-hmm. Andrew was so much fun and Nat LaCourcier worked there and Johnny was like you know you at six o'clock in the morning if you say party that at that time that guy's ready to Pardon. Well, I didn't call him Johnny in no times or bad times. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, I remember Hannah, I think it was like a Christmas party or something like that. And there was like really, like way too much food for a staff and beautiful food for a small staff that we had. Mm-hmm. Salmon, shrimp, and all sorts of things. She was dancing at the bar, and I was obviously the most inebriated one at the party. <laughs> Always. And I think she spun around, kicked the kicked the wine, you know, the wine glass holder. Glass was everywhere. Did a double take off the bar onto a table, and there were those tabletops with just like it was like a shit tabletop with a weird base and like a linen on top to make it look presentable. Yeah, yeah. Stepped on that, you know, was it was almost seesaw effect on that, and then jumped on the table that had all the food on it. Fucking oh. <laughs> yard sale. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. Well, and so just I I do want to interject and just say that we all have mad respect for that woman and love oh. her. And yeah. So like telling funny stories. Hey, we were all young. We all. Also, let's let's remember that Hannah was so fucking young when she owned those. She was drugs. so, yeah. Like, I think she, at the original Hannah's when she opened it, she was in her twenties. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, and she used to host. The first time I met her, she used to come to Ethel's, and she was hosting um, after hours. Uh, obviously, no alcohol, but plenty of chemicals. Uh, DJ parties at Abstract, like after. They close like two two thirty three in the morning on like a Wednesday, and you'd go and like so she was coming off a a pretty chemically induced hard party lifestyle, and she turned her life around and went like she got religious and 
kind of cut a lot of that stuff out, but she still liked to drink, and she was still very young. Like, yeah, I, I don't want to uh, paint a bad picture of her. She, yeah. I'm enamored with her uh, very much. I thought she was like so lovely, and she gave me uh, a start in this industry, and like everybody was so drawn to her. Like customers were so. Uh, in, like she was so engaging if yeah. she you know what I mean and she, whatever she wanted to do she could like almost manifest out of thin air and like I want to do this and it just happened somehow because people wanted to be on in her family it was, yeah. it was, it was amazing the problems with the only, like the major problems with her were essentially like she just didn't have the mind for the business side of it and because she was she was just kind of like a flighty hippie lovely woman right and it's like her mind just her brain just didn't work that way for the numbers and she was if anything i could say a little too trusting of people who would take advantage of her so as far as like <laughs> including her ex-husband no oh, what an asshole <laughs> <laughs> but if uh <laughs> like if you think about like uh, I, I often think about like high level. I've only worked with a couple of chefy chefs, but chefs yeah. like they shouldn't they shouldn't own a business. They should immediately yeah. have an accountant, a lawyer, and a very good business person in their in their back pocket, and like give them give them all the business decisions. Right. Yeah, maybe have a piece of the business, but not be in charge of the day to day running of it. I think like concentrate on what you're good at and. I mean, that works for front of the house people as well sometimes. I know lots of, like, super talented uh, craft bartenders who then decide they, like, who are very creative people and then decide to get in the game of the ownership part of it and things fall apart, right? Because they're just, their brains aren't, they just don't work that way. And that's fine. We all, I think that's uh, the overlooked thing is, we, we, for people who've been in this industry for a really long time, it comes a point where we all think we can just fucking do everything. That's right. You know what I mean? And the truth is, no, we all need help. Like, I can't cook, so I need somebody in the back. And I don't know how to do what they do back there. I don't know how to do food costing and all this shit. That's what I hire people to do for me, right? And trust them to do it. And uh, so I'm very, I've only worked front of house, so I don't really know anything about what goes behind the house. But you got to be willing to admit that. It seems like mom and pop, like mom and pop places as well. If it's independently owned, if it's back of house owned and operated, there's definitely a lack. There's it's lacking in the front of house and vice versa. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I never understood to this day why a small independent person was didn't have a handle on the side that they're not more invested in right it, yeah like i try but it's also like just not i get back there and it's like, i don't i don't care about this <laughs> but i know it's so so important to my to the running of my business so i even for me at this stage of my career i still need to get more that way get more involved and realize like okay i know i don't care about it but i gotta force myself to you know what i mean sure as long as you know that the your food program follows like your the theme of your restaurant. Right, that that's what I care about. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, but I've been burned where I've found out that people have been like, I just trusted them to know how to do their job, and they're costing food at like ridiculous, like just just improperly, right? So we would be losing money 
in in the kitchen, and then that's yeah. happened at a couple different places, and I'm just like, oh, I I don't know how to do this. I hired someone I trusted who did know how to do it, you know. So I kind of it's a good reminder. I should probably get my head out of my ass and figure out how to do that myself. <laughs> but if you food, it's it doesn't it's not too hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not too smart though, Chris. <laughs> Um, okay, so, uh, well, that's an interesting conversation about Hannah, and I just did want to, I, I, like, we all have funny stories about that place and her, and but we also, we also, I think, just don't want people to think that we don't respect what she did in this town, and I think that was your whole point from the get-go, is, like, what an influence one person ended up having on an entire city. Uh, that's right. At, at such a fucking young age, it's really quite remarkable. It was amazing. Yeah. So... That's where you kind of cut your teeth, though. That's where you learn the serving game. And that's casual fine dining. So it's not like, well, sorry, you already had the East Side experience where you learned the nuts and bolts. But casual fine dining is a giant step up from East Side Mario's. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So talk a little bit about that, the adjustments that, that, that you had to make in, in, in upping your service game. I mean, obviously, you had great people to teach you, but... So I solely attribute my uh, service knowledge to Nat uh, Benninger, mm. uh, who owns the Fat Sparrow group now. Right. He trained so many people in this town and so many, and myself, and all of the staff there who was, wasn't, you know, already very experienced. But Natalie Benninger s- sort of trained us all and was like, I would say the head server at the, Hannah's 2.0. Yeah. And uh, so a lot to learn there, but it was sort of like a loosey, it was like the perfect sort of loosey-goosey place to learn something like that, mm-hmm. like those skills. And from the people that were working there were so amazing. Right. Uh, like Johnny worked there and Carla Beharry and all, Nat, Nat LaCourcier and all of those folks, Sarah mm-hmm. Pepper. Yeah. So those people were great to learn from. And then most importantly, I think I always, uh, I wasn't so much a technical server as more of a charismatic server. Yeah. I think I learned that from Johnny, really, Johnny Goodtimes. Well, it's also your personality, obviously, right? So, yeah. Yeah. But, But he... I remember him teaching me things like don't ever ask a guest for, because he was like mostly a barman and worked at East Side yeah. Like don't, don't ever ask a guest if they want another. Like ask them like how you doing or are you ready or something like that. Right. They think about uh, would you like another in their mind they're thinking how many drinks they've, they've had. had. Yeah. Instead of yeah. are you like if are you ready? He's like, of course. Like a yeah. dude's, of course I'm ready. I'm always ready. Always ready. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's true. That's a very subtle thing, and I think that's uh, we haven't really gotten into that a whole lot on the show yet about just the language of how you talk to uh, guests and and the little tricks you learn, like just small little things of saying, and that and that's a perfect example. Like, do you want another? Well, yeah. People sort of think it's like, holy shit, have I already had too many? Or yeah. I, I think, would you like another can be, you can uh, receive that message as like, like, 
are you serious? Are you, you what, you'd like another drink? Yeah, yeah. You know I mean? Other than let's party, take a cab home. Sure. You know, let's have a good time. We're here to, we're here to have a fun night. It's kind of a fine line too, though, right? Because there's also a, a point that we have, and this is something else we haven't talked to a whole, talked a whole lot about on the show yet is there's way too much responsibility put on bartenders, servers with regards to what happens to a guest after they leave your place. Now, we're all, bear in mind, we all know that part of our responsibility is to make sure that we follow smart serve rules and don't get people too drunk and don't let them drive home. But to be honest with you, it's not, like, people, if, if, if I'm at a bar and I'm getting drunk and I'm planning to drive home like an asshole, then I would be, I'm going to lie to my server and say, no, I didn't, no, I'm not driving, and then get in my car and drive home. And th- that will come back, like, in a lawsuit scenario, or even in a legal, like, a, in a uh, legal scenario, that that can come back on the server and the bartender. There's a famous story, and I don't want to call it the nightclub, but where uh, this guy who was, uh, guest, a regular at this nightclub, and he showed up, he'd been drinking all day, they only let him in because he was a regular, they knew they shouldn't have, he had one drink, and then he left, and then he went back to his house and kept partying with his friends, and he had a steep staircase in his house, fell down his staircase, broke his neck, paralyzed, sued that nightclub that let him in for that last drink, and one and because we all know, for those who aren't listening who might not be in the industry, this is how it works. You, if you serve somebody a drink, you've taken responsibility for every drink they've had that day. I, don't, I think the pendulum swung a little far in the responsibility of the bartender and the, rest, the restaurant who, you know, is it, is it our responsibility to ask you know what you've been doing the whole day yeah like you know what i mean well and also like think about how many times you yourself or me or dan has gone to a bar drunk and we everybody knows how to put, hold it together to order that first drink sure. and then once you get the drink <laughs> or to get into the club past the bus past the bouncer right so it's it's a it's an impossible situation we're put in in a way so yeah, sorry, I, 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 going back to what you were talking about, there's this fine line between the language you use to, and this is where I was long-windedly going with this, but <laughs> the, the, uh, going back to what you were talking about with like the language you use to maybe try and get another drink order of, uh, out of a guest, you also have to be like, find a way to suggest that they slow down sometimes without having to get pissed off, right? Yeah, and figure out, yeah, because like, that's a lot of, that's a delicate balance of, I don't want to offend you because this bill, this bill and gratuity is tied to that. Right. And that's a hard conversation to have, like, how are you getting home? Right. Um, because some guys can misinterpret oh. Oh, that. as It sets them off. So, but yeah, it's, it's language in, as far as like uh, talking to guests is, is, a art form that uh, I think is 
uh, lost lately. <laughs> yeah, do you? Uh, I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, for people like you and I and a lot of the people who come on the show, uh, a lot of the people who come on the show have been in the game for a while, uh, which is probably why they're more comfortable coming on and talking about their career. But uh, we, we are also trying to get some people who are maybe newer in the game on to get their perspective as well, younger some younger people. But do you think that that's something that's been lost where we just know how to do it because we've been doing it for so fucking long? Or or do you think it's so... Maybe if they gain more experience, they would figure that out? Or do you think that this is something that's, like, changed? No, I think it comes from uh, the type of places that in exist right now. Cheers. The type of places that are in existence and popular now is I don't think a lot of uh, owners give their employees like that sort of leeway to have like an experience with their guests that can elevate it to the point of like in a corporate setting you would have to like ask multiple people multiple times like if I can do this for my guests like can I can I offer these people like uh, an after dinner drink that's complimentary because they bought a three hundred dollar bottle of wine. Mm. It looks like the husband's sort of like pissed off. I'm trying to get this train back on the track. Can I offer them like a free intermezzo or something like that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think most restaurants' uh, food program. And their management style doesn't allow for their frontline people to, like, have the, the, the slack and, like, the forward thinking and to, to take that initiative. Right. So some of it's got to be more trust given to your employees. But also, I think if you're going to do that, that means that you have to train them better. I, I, That's do, you, do you feel like... A spend, I, Okay, the corporate places, there's no problem with training there. You're, you're, it's robot serving, right? So you've been trained exactly pretty much the questions to ask, how to ask them, whatever. In the more independent spots, should, in your opinion, should like the small business owner, someone like me, spend, be spending more time training up my staff to give them an overall idea of what I expect and then just let them do it their way? Would that be what you would suggest? I think there's more opportunity, like, there's there's definitely an opportunity for, but you have to think about your margins and, like, it's basically going to come down to a couple of your people, you know, maybe abusing that. Sure, that's and, always a worry, right? Oh. Giving people free shots to jack up their bill and jack up their grad and stuff like that. Right. But I think it's different when you have, like, a group of people that, have already spent a lot of money or, you know, you want to retain those people. There's like, there's like really small things that you can do to retention and, and, uh, you know, like gaining regulars is the most important part of. Yeah. You. Yeah. So tricks to do that and empowering your employees and like little, it can be like cheap things that, uh, don't cost you very much. But right. you can, you can gain like you can make those people's night so special that they're only going to think of your establishment every time they're downtown to the kitchen. 
Yeah, they come to uh, people. And there's small ways you can do it that don't cost anything, like just remembering what they drink. Yeah. Or, uh, but there's also like yeah, giving a shot of something that's not that expensive or whatever every now and then to let them know they're appreciated. All that stuff's important. It's just such a fine line between that and having your staff just take advantage of it, right? So yeah. That, cause that's the thing. Like, I, I struggle with it all the time because sometimes I'm like, oh, just like if somebody comes in here all the time, give them shots. But then that quickly turns into, well, I'm giving them a shot. I may as well do one with them. And then, yeah, you know, like, so. You got uh, an invisible HR situation on your hands. Yeah, that's right. Maybe I need, uh, maybe I need an HR manager. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm not qualified for that job, so. Uh, okay, so that's, I mean, I just wanted to get into that a little bit because that's kind of interesting that what you were talking about, Johnny teaching you some of just the verbiage that's like a different way to sort of organize an evening with the table where the, you could... Go the, one thing, the one thing that he told me, or I remember like observing from him and like us creating like as a unit together, in that situation, it was almost like... Uh, it, it sort of like an exclusive party that everybody wanted to go to and they didn't know why they wanted to be at the party the food was like good but it wasn't mm-hmm. like let's come back here every week good right it was just it was good mm-hmm. but it was like a feeling we created in an atmosphere and that was that I think is lost in today's uh, especially uh, casual fine dining places like I I don't remember the last time I felt like oh I'm this is like this is awesome well I think that also maybe uh, and tell me if you agree is casual fine dining even a thing anymore because it's either just fine dining or it's casual like I feel like almost that middle part has been eliminated it seems to be like a QSR like quick service restaurants or yeah. places that have a funky vibe and serve whatever food mm-hmm. and sort of fine dining and then the yeah yeah you're right like the middle is sort of gone by the wayside a little bit yeah I mean I, I'm sure they're still out there so I don't mean to say that it's still been eliminated entirely like I can think of a couple of places in town that still do it really well like Red House or Swine and, swine and vine, something like that, where they they have nailed that sort of middle of the road casual fine. So it's you can feel comfortable showing up wearing whatever you want. It's not over the top formal service, but it's not. But the food's still really quality and whatever, right? And, and you're going to get a good wine list. However, you want to describe what casual fine dining used to be, but it seems like it's gone. The industry's gone more to the extremes. Yeah. And I think that's because of uh, margins, like margins so so thin, and you can crank out a lot of food, or you can have high check averages. But those ones in the middle are like, ooh, you gotta you gotta hustle and do like brunch, lunch, and dinner, or you're fucked. Right, it's hard. Uh, it's good. Um... Talking about what you were mentioning about the vibe that you guys had there, though, I think that's really important, and I, I kind of agree with you that there's not a... I mean, maybe in bigger cities you're going to get a few more places like this because just more population, more spots, they're going to have many more eclectic-type places, so maybe a place like Toronto has more of these places. 
but the hearing kitchen in Waterloo, for instance, that there aren't there aren't as many places that have what you're talking about, where there's like this kind of connection between the staff and the customers, but still in a semi-formal way. That's like yeah, like not the like a place like the corner bar, like an Ethel's Lounge. Well, that's just straight casual, right? So they develop a rapport with their customers. That's easy, easy, much easier to do in that setting. But what you guys did that was specifically unique, I find, and I think it's really hard to do because I, I would still like to try and do it at my place, is have a slightly more formal setting, but still have that casual sort of party vibe with your guests. Yeah, and to like to bring it back to like Nat Benninger and you know when they opened uh, Nick and Nat's. I went over there, and I remember being so, like, she would be such a, such a stickler about, like, minute details serving, like, if there, if you had a tray of drinks or two drinks and the, bar, the table was right beside you, she'd say, like, use a tray. I'd be like, right. the table, it's faster if I just turn around and drop yeah. the drink. She's like, you have to put your drinks on a tray. Yeah. So to have serving standards, like high serving standards, and then letting your employees have, like choosing the right employees with the right uh, characters and like personalities, I think that's the missing ingredient now. That's the key, that's the key right? The, the, the training behind the fine dining style service, but allowing you at the same time to let your personality go magic yeah that's great shit like because in ultra fine dining they don't want your personality yeah the personality is not a factor it's just it's 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 the other side of robot serving from like franchisee serving right yeah Yeah. it's that's interesting i think you're right and it's kind of a hard line to walk because i don't know like you can hire cool people of great personalities but if you let their personality go too far sometimes they can go too far and if you get too formal with the service, then it doesn't create that casual vibe that you're looking for either, right? So, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so uh, we talked a lot about Hannah's, as we should. Uh, that was a big part of your development. And then you go to work with Nick and Nat at Uptown 21. And this is kind of where you feel like you really kind of found your groove. Yeah, the, it was... It was really nice to be to be part of an opening crew. Like I've been part of that opening opening team for a few big places. Mm-hmm. It's an it's a very exciting. It's exciting to especially in independent places to be a part of uh, like as far as like Nick and Nat's Uptown Twenty One. It was like they're realizing their dreams mm-hmm. and being a part of that and like mm-hmm. we touched on before like all of the times that you're grinding it out at these places that you're like i could do this better and i i want to do this way and i this is my menu and i could imagine them like being in their backyard having a drink at the end of the night saying like oh this is our menu and this is what i want to do and this is what i want to do so being a part of that opening crew and helping them realize that dream was like super special yeah and it was exciting, and like we had a great, 
crew and it was it was it was amazing and so you kind of like had your sea legs with the casual fine dining at Hannah's but by the time you get to Nick and Nats you figure you know what the fuck you're doing now right yeah but sort of like my my personality and ego always needed like Nat to <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's fair well, especially if someone is like kind of your mentor in a situation like that, right? You kind of want that approval, so that makes sense. Yeah, she was a great. Uh, she's a great. Like, what a at that time, like, what a great team to like somebody that's so proficient in the front of house and like Nick, who was great in the back of house. It was like a perfect storm for a, a small independent business like that, and it the the sort of like. The, how they crafted their team and both front and back of the house. It was very, very like intelligent and well thought out. And I think it was very, just because I was there, I probably amplify the importance of it, but it was like very, very significant in uh, the restaurant scene and in the indie restaurant scene at that time. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. And definitely by the time that those two pulled that off, they had been in the game for long enough and done it in different types of places that they, I mean, I can't imagine two people more ready to make that move. Yeah, almost almost too ready. Like you could see like the, like they're frothing at the mouth almost to like open it up and get it done and open the doors and get moving. Right. So it was, yeah, it was, Fantastic. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, okay, so then you, uh, is this around the point that you start thinking about doing the food truck thing? I think I was at Nick and Nat's Uptown 21 for three or four years. Okay. And then I had that thing where, you know, we all, like a lot of us do, like I want to do my own thing and yeah. I, my creative expression is wants to do like this theme and this way. And I was about three or four years in and I uh, got a food truck called West of Soul. Right. And so the, that's the, the theme was sort of uh, Korean style food out of your, out of a food truck. So originally I wanted it to be very like, sort of as authentic as a half Korean guy could do, but like sort of authentic Korean food to sort of introduce KW to that style of food. And then I would go to events and festivals and, you know, the, the poutine guy is crushing me with a lot around my truck and I had to change things quickly. And then I just did stuff like kimchi fries and, Korean tacos and so just like a play on the rather than just yeah. super authentic but I mean that makes sense right with these festivals kids aren't looking for out there shit right so no yeah uh, so let, can we let's talk about this uh, you're the first person we've had on who actually ran a food truck talk about the, what you liked about it what you didn't like about it what the advantages and disadvantages were so I was you know we did it it would be almost seven years ago, so six and a half years ago now. And a lot of, there's a lot of like planning and it was 
pretty well thought out. Uh, there was the bylaw was just being implemented at the time. Okay. It was pretty restrictive of where you could go and what, basically what you could do, hours of operation and stuff like that. But it was, uh, it was getting there in the hopes of those, those rules would relax and then it would be like L.A., Right, because you were on the forefront of it in this town, at least. Like, there weren't, I mean, maybe there have been one or two before you in Kitchener-Waterloo? The only one before, like, the guy who started was the schmuck truck. Right. Oh. And after us was, like, the the grilled cheese guy and then a bunch Yeah, now, there, now there's a few, yeah. But so it was... But it's a pretty big risk for you to take. What made you think it was going to work, especially with the bylaw restrictions? I, I honestly thought that it was going to be like a segue into a restaurant. Okay. So I would do that, build a brand, and then, you know, have a brick and mortar in a little while. Which is, I think, how it works in, like, L.A., like you say. Like, that's yeah. how a lot of people do that. And, it, you know, it, it was it was good. It was, like, it, it's a grind to have, like, you know, you we were, like, sort of neighbors for mm-hmm. a long That's time. That's right, yeah. Stuck in the driveway, like, you got you to gotta get the product, put it on the truck, break down and process the product, go out, clean. Like, it was a one- or two-person operation, and it was, it was a grind. It was... You learned as much as, like, the learning curve was as steep as it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. I, I've never opened a bar, and I know some of the stories and challenges that you've had to face. But yeah, well, well, I don't know. I, I, the food truck seems even more so, except for the just the building of the operation. But let's talk about that, actually, a little bit. How do you build a food truck? Just, give us, just tell, walk us through it. I basically uh, modeled my truck after, like, a hero food truck of mine in St. Catharines called El Gastronomo Vagabondo. Okay. I I did, uh, I worked on his truck for a festival and, like, really followed him and asked him lots of questions. I got my truck built at the same builder as his and failed to ask him all the problems that he had with his build. <laughs> his oh. build. <laughs> Uh, can, can I ask you uh, some monetary questions? And if you don't want to answer, you don't have to. But what what does an operation like that cost? Like to to buy the truck to outfit it for? Like okay, what kind of truck do you buy? Is it an old mail truck or yeah, old mail truck? With on the assumption that it's uh, in working condition, right? And uh, so I would say, yeah, it's it's pretty. It's like. The kitchen that you had at White Rabbit, or the kitchen that they have at Arabella Park, mm-hmm. my Stuck kitchen into the truck way way bigger than that. Oh, okay. You know, like or the same size. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you like, do you want to know the co- like the cost of the truck was probably like fifty grand. Right, and then how much to how much to actually make it uh, food truck ready? It's fully equipped. You got to get uh, a generator, which you can lease. Okay, so you're saying fifty grand it comes kitchen already installed type thing. That's right. Okay, so that's not too bad. 
but like 50 grand is like you're ready to go other than food and like cooking equipment you know what I mean like oh, okay. yeah you still gotta buy the nuts like the frying pan or whatever the fuck right that's yeah. yeah okay so huh, that's interesting and um and so you got it outfitted from this guy and then you found that there were problems with it after that so the issue was is uh I had a child that was our first child was on the way they said that the truck was going to be delivered in the like this is a long time ago so I might screw up details but that's okay the, the truck was going to be delivered in like two two or three weeks I gave my notice at Nick and Nats and then it was like two or three months late Right. Well, that's like, that's the story. That is the same works for brick and mortar fucking restaurants and bars. It's like, I've, I've learned to tell my potential hirees, hires, hires, yes, my potential hires that I, like, don't quit your fucking job. I learned this from White Rabbit. So I'd be like, we're going to be open now. So, like, and then you get delayed six months or whatever, right? And so now I'm like, do not quit your job till I tell you to, right? <laughs> So that was a tense, that was a tense, uh, summer hmm. baby on the way business that was supposed to be operational in the springtime. And then we didn't get going until September. So at the time, the, I think the license was, I bet you 10 times what it is now because they just threw a number in the air, hmm. creating the bylaw and creating like the licenses. And then you're only operational until snow flies or right well and that's that's why they're more successful in warmer climates obviously but yeah. what what's uh what's a license cost for or back then what did it cost you i want to say that it was a, a couple thousand Ooh. right so that's like the same as getting a liquor license now so that's hefty uh, and and a liquor license for two years Right. Yeah. So, and you, and so permit wise, is there a lot of red tape to run through there, or is it essentially like it comes outfitted, safety, like a health inspector walks through and makes sure everything's up to code? And it's a weird, it's a weird thing because at the infancy of the food truck thing, you have to get uh, health, health department has to come. Obviously, it's like a kitchen. Yeah. Uh, fire. Yeah. Fire. Uh, get suppression system all checked out uh there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you have to do before but the the crazy thing about food trucks that i learned in the first the second season when we were going is every event and every single event which is like 20 20 or 30 you have to get health inspected at every single event individually and then you have to get a license from every city that you're in oh is that right now do you have to pay for that or is that just uh well this like the the health the health How? department comes because yeah, it's a, but I, I mean the license do you have to pay for the license at every event uh you have to pay for the license in every like municipality that you're oh, in like, okay the new license the city of Cambridge, you need a license. Right. And and also, I would imagine, I know it's supposed to be standard, but the, like a health inspector in all these different cities, I think you get a lot of different results. Can you imagine your, your bar 
having 20 or 30 health checks a year? Mm. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. And, and, by, and, and also by different inspectors, too. That's right. Because at least, like, at least at my spot, it's going to be the same person who comes every time. They know what we do. They, they have a general idea of, like, how, like, that my place is clean and we keep it clean and it's up to code. So they just walk through and, and do, like, the checklist. Like, does, the dish, does your dishwasher meet the proper temperature? Like, whereas you're doing, dealing with a new person almost every time. 30 times a year in different and in different cities and some people some of these people have like i don't know if their boyfriend just broke up with them but they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, some of them hate their fucking jobs man like just like well in any profession i guess but you catch them on a bad day and whatever right there's there's been times where you have to throw out like throwing out your all of your protein or all of your like their other trucks seeing them throw like their their protein for the whole festival like holy mackerel so what do you do then you just adjust on the fly and make whatever you can pull off with what you got left yeah and some of those some of those guys have like a, a production facility where they just call someone and say like hey can you bring yada 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 really I'm gonna take wild boar like poutine off the menu because the wild boar got hitched. Right, but that's that's, that's harder to do for something that you were doing, which is like a specific flavor of like Korean food, and you're in a different city. You don't have somebody who can drive new kimchi to you or whatever the fuck it might be, right? There's a couple times where it was a sticky situation. Like they have like a weird. The health department has a weird thing about rice because mm. it has some kind of spore that grows from, you know, when the the rice stock is growing. Okay. That, that spore does not uh, does not die, and even if you boil it or steam it or whatever, and they they don't like they don't like bacteria of any kind. So in that situation, and like try walking them through how. Uh, you ferment kimchi. Oh, I can only imagine. I just said, like, I, yeah, now that I don't have a, a food truck, I basically lied. But yeah. I do not, I do not ferment cabbage at room temperature at all. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, you pretty much have to, right? Like, what else are you going to do? Uh, yeah, they were, walk me through your kimchi uh, uh, production methods. Like, I just, Chop it up, add the spices, and put it in the fridge. And they're like, okay, thank you. Yeah, fuck. Uh, okay, so at some point you must decide, well, it sounds like there's a lot of hassles involved with this, but what was it just the culmination of all of these hassles that made you decide this isn't worth it anymore? Or what made you decide to give up the truck? I think there's so many, there's like a lot of things that happen. Yeah. Uh, at the forefront, you know, you can do... You can do the numbers and and just and like you know having like a server mentality. I think you're just like ah, oh, this is worth it. Uh-huh. I can make more money. I can make may, way more money working for somebody else. Right. I think that the the work involved was a little. I should have got a partner from the from the get go. Mm-hmm. Um. You know the 
this town, not too harsh on our town. Like I know that it's a lot of old conservative Germans really and that don't have like a, you know, they don't have like the flexibility to try new things. So right. food trucks weren't really one of those things. Uh, the regulations and, you know, that I touched on before that I thought it was going to be like a stepping stone into a brick and mortar. And I, I saw a lot of like people that I knew, like small mom and pop places that they were either divorced or they really didn't like each other. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck this. Like, this is, I don't want to even own a restaurant anymore. Right. So what, what's the point? And like, when you're when you have a seasonal business and a small family, you're you're on the you're at your business and you're thinking oh, I should be with my family. And then when you're with your family, you're like I should I have a seasonal business. What am I doing here? Right, so, right. It's uh, it's hard, and that's hard even if the business isn't seasonal. To be honest with you, that's a struggle yeah. for all of us. But uh, even more so when it's seasonal, I'm sure. Like you kind of almost have to be an absentee family member for the summer because. Especially here in like um, southeastern Ontario, where it's like or southwestern Ontario. Sorry, pardon me, southwestern Ontario, <laughs> where like wait, you got like two months to make your nut. Yeah. Right. So you you must feel like you you kind of be grinding, but that but that's two months solid away from your family. Uh yeah, like the my. My partner at the time was on mat leave, and she helped out a tremendous amount. That's good. So there was that. and But I think, like, yeah, it was like a lot of time of just feeling guilty about mm-hmm. where you are and where you should be rather than just doing it. And that I don't know if that's just me. I don't know. Well, rather than just enjoying your fucking life, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're always feeling guilty, that doesn't sound very enjoyable. Uh, okay, so from there you go to, uh, I'll skip ahead a little bit, but you you end up at Janet Lynn's, which is a very famous old um, fine dining restaurant here in uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, and you are moving into management at this point, correct? <laughs> if you call it that. I think it was a babysitter with a key, really. <laughs> so... That was the time, so that is like a, you know, an old landmark and staple of the KW food scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at the time, like, Janet had already passed away. Right. Uh, Kevin Wong had just passed away and uh, left the restaurant to his uh, new wife, newish wife, who... Uh, had no experience in the restaurant industry. Okay. And there was a lot of like, it was, a, it was like a decent, it was a decent place to work, but I sort of knew it was going to be very tricky. Yeah. Especially, Sorry, go ahead. Especially with like minimal management experience. Right. And how do you find that transition into management? Do they, I, I mean, I, I I know you fairly well. I feel like, I just don't feel like that would be your scene. Like, I feel like you like to just go work and have a good time at work and do your job well. Like, the middle management thing is a whole different scenario. 
It wasn't too hard because, you know, you're just, I was a, you know, that working, that serving manager. Yeah, sure. Which makes a big difference. Yeah. So I wasn't really paid as a manager. I was paid like a couple bucks more than a server. And then the lion's share of my uh, wage was gratuities. Okay. So you're not, uh, responsibility-wise, though, you probably weren't overwhelmed with responsibility either then, if you're not getting paid that much more? You would think that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, not to disparage anyone there, but they, they're in a pickle, man. Like, they had a tough situation, and, mm. you know, they have an old uh, back house crew of... You know, they've been there for since the 80s, the 90s. They didn't want to change very much as far as the food program. Mm -hmm. And I thought that the some of the service things, like the things that I could control and change, their service and what the guests, like the service was very antiquated. Right. So I didn't understand like, Double setting, double setting a placemat, having two wine glasses on a like place setting was odd. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like weird. People didn't really know, have server sections. They're just people buzzing all over the place. Right. And there was like a an owner, sort of like a minority owner server that was there, and it was just like it was sort of messy. But I don't know. I I probably could have done things differently, but I I went in there really wanting to create a lot of change. And I think it came off as like very abrasive and obnoxious. Yeah. And and I I wasn't respecting what Janet like the legacy of Janet Lynn's was. And my thought process was like I understand that you do it this way, but it, that way it doesn't make sense. Right. You know, you can have your servers wearing like red Converse sneakers, but they're not non-slip and someone's going to eat shit on this floor and you're going to be liable or, you know, not having server sections, that doesn't make sense. And like some of the, some of the just, service stand they didn't have a a a reservation system you know what i mean it's just like like i can't it was almost like uh that little place that's busy despite itself because of the location Mm -hmm. and when westmount golf course was closed like would close for an event or something people would pile into jlb because that's where the demographic yeah that's the same crowd yeah uh, so, uh, interesting. Uh, okay, so, I mean, it's not hard to figure out why you probably felt like moving on from there. Um, well, I was fired from there. Oh, you were? <laughs> Do you want to give us the reason? I don't know their reason. You can have one of those guys on the on the podcast, but I think that it was like me, you know, getting a little bit, knowing that that end of the line is near and there's nothing else I can do Mm. I started putting pressure on the the back of house saying like you know we can't serve the same stuff 
over and over again. Let's try and be inventive. And like your, your regular clientele is literally dying. Let's, mm. let's move forward here and be progressive and do new things. And I think they were like, fuck you. We've been doing the same. We've been playing the, you know, that band, that, that cover yeah. band plays the same songs and they're like, we're not doing anything new. Right, because it's working for whatever reason. Huh. Okay, so now you've ended up at Alora Mill, which I have a soft spot in my heart for because it's where I got married. And uh, it's just a lovely spot up there and great team. I know a lot of the people who work there. Um, you're obviously not back to work yet, but uh, tell me about what you like about working at this kind of beautiful in-resort fine dining establishment there. If you, I, I think it's been the, the best place that I've worked in a long time. I'm, I'm not really from the corporate, uh, yeah, it would, it's corporate, it's a corporate place, right? Sure, yeah. 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 A wedding, wedding factory, most of their facilities are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very, like the, it is gorgeous there. Like, as you know, you got yes. married there. So beautiful, yeah. It's gorgeous, like to have that backdrop as to have the the Alora Gorge and the falls as your your backdrop. Mm-hmm. It almost like wins so much, so many people over that it's very easy to do your job. Oh, so that's interesting to talk about. So it's almost like the aesthetics of the place makes your job easier because so, people are, people are already happy to be there. Happy to be there. Everything's like, everything is very high end, top notch. They don't spare expenses with anything it seems. Mm. Well, and the food is amazing. Food's amazing. Yeah. They, they cook everything on a wood fire, like open hearth. Like protein and vegetables are all from their farm, or like you know, local local sustainable things. And it is. It is a gorgeous place with a great team with a lot of people that uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Good people. It was the first time ever that I've worked at a place as a server where uh, I felt very challenged with uh, the caliber of people that, like uh, just a couple guys, but I was learning things for the first time in a very long time. Well, you got to know your shit to work at a place like that. Because that's what's expected of you, right? Like the knowledge base is very important. I feel. Yeah, and it took like a couple of the. I would consider myself like a senior, like older server now, but there's guys that have been doing way more than me there. Yeah. They're they have their pedigrees. Like they worked at Canoe, they worked at Versus, like Andrew McVicker and Rick Baranchek, who you know. Yeah. Like guys have have some serious history and like pedigree in the game it's, it's incredible yeah uh yeah that's cool and um what's uh do you have what how do you feel about the clientele there it must be i mean obviously it's it's very fine dining style service you're not we've moved well beyond the casual fine dining scene at this point uh what do you enjoy about that what do you not like about it uh well, the check average is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and again, I think that they they do really want to elevate 
guest experience because a large percentage of those people, especially on weekends, are uh, in-house guests. Mm-hmm. So they're spending. You had your wedding there. They're spending. Yeah. Of, yeah. You know. Um, so you have to you have to take care of these people and make sure they're having a very good time and they're they're getting what they want and you're on your game. Yeah. And so that's kind of, I mean, it's challenging, but I've done stuff like that as well. But it's, it's also sometimes like, it's just kind of exhilarating sometimes serving in, a, in an atmosphere like that where you really, you, it doesn't matter what happened to you that day, when you show up and punch that card to check in that day, you have to be on your game yep. the entire time. And it pushes you. Yeah, there was a, it was the first time where we had, like, a, a really thorough, you know, those menu briefings with usually Mike Anderson was the sommelier and floor manager. It was like, you know, these people are recurring guests. They have, like, a, an issue the last time we were here. Let's, let's really amp it up tonight. Like, mm-hmm. let's get this wine. They usually stay in this wheelhouse. He doesn't like to chit-chat too much. Like, the guest notes that you get are really long because they mm. input everything. And it's sort of, like, like challenging and, you know, stimulating to, like, have a night where you got a lot on the go and you have to, you have to perform. Yeah. And, that's, uh, and that can be challenging sometimes when you got to turn it on when you are having a bad day. But once you're in it, it's almost like you're putting on a show and... It's, you just get into it. I think that uh, what is lost, and I think was lost on me when I was a younger server, was now it's just about the guest. It's not mm. the it's not the DK show. Yeah, you know, it's just like you know, if the dude's kind of shitty, he might be he might be hangry. Mm-hmm. He might his wife might have bitched him out in the room. Mm-hmm. It, work week must have might have been shitty like get them a drink get them some food and then just always be anticipating what they need and be like a backdrop and if they want to converse you have to like dip in and out of you know what they, you have to read them very well and if they want to if they want to engage a lot you have to you have to do that and if they just want to be left alone you have to back off and not encroach on their space and do you think that that's sort of an attitude that you only get through asian experience which is that it's not about you anymore it's just about the guest i think it can be taught but it has to be like organic like i think i go to a lot of places and like some server you can tell is like leaving you alone but he doesn't want to be at the table either <laughs> right yeah I think reading your guests and like being one step ahead of like really reading them. Like there's, there's times where there's a couple who the guy might be a little bit insecure and I have to, I have to make him feel like I'm, I am not interested in your wife. Like yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I have to like, like, yeah, in my ego and I have to smooth his out show her a good time and like not not anger him as well and like make everybody feel good 
Yeah, it's a, it's a performance and it's also babysitting at the same time. It really is. And yeah. you never know what's going to happen. You don't. That's why we love it, though. That's why we love it. Everything's new. Well, Chris, it was great having you on, man. That's, uh, it was a great conversation. I'm glad to talk to you again. It's been a while. And uh, also know that you're doing great. And hopefully you'll be back to work soon like the rest of us. And um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add before we sign off. But I think we got it. No, good luck with uh, the opening. I really hope you guys uh, get up and operate. Oh, it uh, was a hard uh, opening and then yeah. stuff like holy macro. Yeah, well, but, uh, you, you, just, you just do what they let you do. You just do what they let you, they let you do. Uh, okay, thanks, Chris. Appreciate you coming on. Great conversation. And uh, hopefully I will see you soon at my place or yours. Cool. Okay. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks, man. Uh,